So Hagar becomes Keturah, and then Avram Avinu marries her again. What could that teach us about the power of Teshuva, the impact on other people? And generally speaking, what we are meant to do in terms of bringing other people to spiritual life. So it's all based on a Rashi, and the Rashi is on the Pasuk, that Avram added, or he again went and married a woman, an additional woman called Keturah. So Rashi is Rashi Meforish. Rashi explains, Keturah zay Hagar. Who's Keturah? It's Hagar. Aye, so why is she called Keturah? She was called Keturah because A, her deeds were so pleasant, they were like the aroma of the Keturahs. And, and that she was very chaste and tied herself not to be exposed to other people and was not with any other man after Avram Avinu. So, a few things we need to understand from what Rashi's told us. Number one, Rashi usually wants to tell us what the simple understanding of the Psukim is. So what in the simple understanding of the Psukim alludes to the fact that Hagar is now known as Keturah. In fact, from Pashtus L'Shayna Kosov, the simple language of the Pasuk indicates the opposite. Avram now added a wife. He took an additional wife. His mashma, that according to Pshat would imply, as which surely indicates the marriage of a brand new person, who is over and above his previous wives, which the Medjush actually asked, doesn't it say by Yosef? In other words, in addition to Sarah, who had now passed away, and even in addition to Hagar, who was previously a wife of Avram Avinu. Where in Pshat is there even the slightest hint that Keturah equals Hagar? Number two, look at the language of Rashi. Rashi gives us two reasons why her name would be called Keturah, and he links the two of them with a vav, with an and. First he tells us that Keturah indicates that her deeds were so pleasant like the Keturahs. And then, and, that she, so to speak, closed her entrance. In other words, ensured that she was chaste, that she wasn't available to any other person. Rashi doesn't put it as an alternative view or any other language that would indicate that there are two separate explanations. So it's more than it's clear from that, as Rashi learned, that the way Rashi interprets this is, it's not two different explanations of how she got the name Keturah, because that's how the Medrash presents it. It's one explanation with an A and a B, with two parts to it. In other words, Rashi is taking the view that the name Keturah represents both aspects simultaneously. Keturah from the word Keturah, which implies that her deeds were as pleasing as the Rome of the Keturah. And also Keturah, like in Aramaic, is L'shoin Keturah, the expression of tying a knot. Which implies that she closed herself off to any other relationship. So then we have to understand from Vanat Nem Rashi, on what basis does Rashi take that view? That view? Again, bearing in mind that Rashi's approach is always aligned with the simplest understanding of the Psukim. Where in the Pasuk does it indicate that she's called Keturah for two reasons? 
Need for a Medrash has to assign in Svei Purushim, which is totally different to the Medrash. It seems to make a lot more sense that there are two opinions why she's called Keturah. Rashi is saying she's called Keturah for two reasons. How does he know that? And then a very troubling question. Gimel Dikushas HaMefroshim, quite a number of the Mefroshim ask this question. When the Pasuk said in last week's parasha that Hagar left Avram Avinu's house and then wandered around in the desert, Dr. Ashi, Rashi says, wandering around means that she went back to the idolatrous practices of her father's home. So how does the same Rashi now tell us that her deeds were as pleasing as the Keturus? really doesn't sound right. So the beer in them, to understand all of this, what forces Rashi to say that Keturah must be a Hagar is a Kashia, is a specific question. That doesn't only apply to the words of this Pasuk, hey, who is Keturah? Actually, what's bothering Rashi is something that relates to the entire story of the interactions between Avram and Sarah. Why? Because how's it possible that Avram Avinu could influence everybody except those closest to him? Rashi has already told us that Avram Avinu brought men into the belief of Hashem as Sarah did to the women. So now let's work this out logically. If Avram Avinu was such a powerful individual who could influence people who were outside of his circle, outside of his family, and turn them into Geirim, surely then he could have had just as powerful an influence, if not more, over his own family, which means even Yishmol got involved in bad influences. We still see that at the end Yishmol did Shuvah and even while Avram Avinu was still alive. That therefore presents this question. How could it be then that Yishmol does tshuva but Hagar goes back to idolatry? And there's no record that Avram Avinu had an impact on her at any point, even subsequently, to do tshuva. How is that possible? I don't try and say, oh, it's because distance. They didn't have internet. And don't suggest that it's because Hagar was too far for Avram to, enfer, to, to, to influence. Because as we know, Avram Avinu, on Sarah's advice, kicked Yishmol and Hagar out of his house. Because by the time the Akedah happened, which was already in the previous parasha, that whole distance and separation and chasing them out of the house was over. The Rashi touched them posuk, as Rashi interprets on the posuk that says Avram Avinu traveled es shnei ne'orav with his two young assistants. Who were they? Says Rashi, Yishmoel Veliezer. Yishmoel is one of the two. And then logic says, if Yishmol was back in town, so was Hagar. Especially when you remember that Hagar is the one who made a shidduch for Yishmol from one of the daughters of Mitzrayim in that same time period. So she was obviously there. So how is it possible? Hagar is within reach. How is it that Avram Avinu doesn't appear to have influenced her to do tshuva for having engaged in idolatry? 
to answer that, if Dems Lakdashi Ketura is a Hagar Vanikas Ketura Chulay, that's where Rashi says Ketura must be Hagar, and she now has this positive behavior. As I know, that's taka true. The The fact that the Torah now identifies Hagar by a new name, Kitura, meant the pasuk to Miramis. And the intention of the pasuk is to allude to us as it that she's now a different person to who she was when when she went wandering back in the pagan fields of her father and her family. She's now somebody else, somebody whose deeds are as pleasing as the Kitoras. Was she actually has done shiva if for having re-engaged idolatry. That's what prompts Rashi to say Keturah is Hagar, and it addresses this very powerful question. And look at Rashi's language, you'll see it in the in the language. How does Rashi say it? He says, Keturah Zoy Hagar. Keturah is Hagar. Nit he Hagar. Even though there are other ways that would have worked just as well and said the same message, she is Hagar, he Hagar, like we say, he Hebron, such a place is such a place. Because he Hagar, Alashin Nistar, the point about he is its third person, so it indicates that we're talking about somebody who is not present. Volgement, that would indicate as Dob by deep Sukim, Red Kenanit Vegan Hagar, that in these Psukim, he Hagar, she's someone else. She's not in these psukim. She's nistar. She's third person. She's not the subject of this conversation. She's Vienavos is nistar. She's somebody who's invisible at this point in time. Ven hagar by saying she or this more correctly, not she is hagar. This is hagar. That tells us hagar is present in this conversation. So this five-year-old is learning chumash. He's wondering, where's Hagar? What happened to Hagar? What's the end of his story? Why don't we see any evidence that she does tshuva? How is that even possible? So Rashi addresses that by saying, this, this is Hagar. You want to know what happened to her? This is what happened to her. Here we are talking about that self-same Hagar who lost her inspiration for a period of time and fell off the bandwagon. And you were worried about her and you were asking about her. Well, this is her and she's now rehabilitated. So what's Rashi telling us? She did shiva, therefore her deeds are beautiful like the Keturahs, but it's not enough of an explanation. Because even though, yes, we can identify that now at the time of this story when Avram takes her back, she is a Balas Triva and she is good. But because her history includes a chapter where she went back to bad behavior, surely Avram Avinu, who is the ultimate level of personal modesty, surely he would never have reinvited her to be his wife again. There was even a whiff of the possibility that she'd been with another man in the interim. So yes, she's holy and her deeds are good, but Avram Avinu is going to keep an arm's length from somebody who might have been with another man. Especially when you consider the context as their posuk by Yosef Avram Goimer, this posuk that says that Avram Avinu remarried 
Kumbalt Nochen Pasuk is immediately following the Pasuk of his own son's marriage. That not only did Yitzchak marry, but he married Rivka, who was of the caliber to reinstate all the miracles of the tent of Sarah. The context is we're talking about people who are the most modest people around, Sora and Rivka. And compared now, we're talking about Avram Avinu. It's not possible that Avram Avinu would have entertained the remotest possibility of a wife who had been with another man. That's why Rashi has to say, and... Besides the fact that her current status is that she's got beautiful behavior like the Keturis, and she was chast even when she was off the rails. As in dem nomen Ketura Yizeich Merumas, that within that name Ketura, it also alludes to the fact that she did not align herself, she did not build a relationship with any other man in the interim after she had left Avram Avinu's house. And that's why it was acceptable and appropriate for Avram Avinu to take her back as a wife for a second time. So we've got this beautiful understanding and insight. Now we know why it's Keturah and we know why there are two explanations or two parts to the explanation about her name. Now with that in mind, what's, what's Keturah illustrating to us? That Hagar Durch Avram's Hashpah, because of Avram's direct influence, Tshuva Giton, she did Shema. That will help us to now explain the story again at a deeper level, according to the more mystical dimensions of Torah. Specifically, elements of the Pasuk that perhaps we didn't have such a depth of understanding until now. Details that didn't seem to be so smooth, certainly not from a spiritual perspective. Number one, simple question. Everybody should have been thinking about this question. That is Aleph. If, as Rashi said, Keturah, this is Hagar, same person. Then how do you say that Avram added a wife. He's not adding a wife. He's reinstating an ex-wife. As mentioned, that's the question the Medrash asks. Now, okay, on a simple level, perhaps it's not the biggest question, or maybe not even a question at all. That yes, Keturah is Hagar. But it's the same person starting a new relationship. Avraham Avinu is now taking her as a wife, so to speak, for the first time. You can use the expression by Yosef. He added, he added her again as a wife. It works according to Pshat. In fact, even beyond that, her whole status of wife is far superior to what it was before. Remember, Sarah Imenu said to Avram Avinu, She still had the status of being a shifcha, a maidservant, which is a very lowly status in context of yuchsin, context of marriage. Here the Pasuk tells us that Avram added a wife, that's a much higher status. And even, even if she wasn't a full wife, but only a concubine, in the Mephim for Noshim Bichsuva Pilakshim Menit was Beloi Kusuva, where the distinction between a wife and a concubine is whether or not they have the rights to claim a Ksuva, 
Still, he's added a dimension to their relationship. Prior to this, she was just a maidservant, and now she has a place at the table. She's part of the family. Okay, so according to Pshat, we can understand the word Vayosef. Still, the word Vayosef will be much clearer and more palatable when we look from the perspective of Chassidus. And we'll see how. Okay, so question one, why the Vayosef? Question two. There are many ways that the Torah could have alluded to the fact that Hagar behaved in a nice, beautiful way. Why specifically a way that connects with the Keturus? What's the symbolism of Keturus that tells us uh, or gives us an insight into Hagar's tshuva? And lastly, Gimel, how come it is that the, tshuva, that the Torah alluded to this whole story that Hagar did tshuva only now? At the point where we're told that Avram Avinu is marrying her. Why is now the time to know that information? So the Beer and Dem, in order to understand this, Hasidus explains the various stages of Avram Avinu's avoidas Hashem, particularly the difference before he had a bris versus after he had a bris. Chassidus is before, you'll see this in, Oirat, uh, in Torah Oir. Chassidus is before the chilek zwischen der Avoide von Avram Farzan Molzain und der Avoide was Nochtem. So Chassidus makes a very big distinction between the kind of Avoide that Avram Avinu did before the bris and subsequent to the bris. Avram, his name before he had a bris was Avram, which implies was meant Avram. A father who is very elevated, there is der Hoeben and Obgitragen von Welt, which means elevated to the point of being beyond real connection to this physical world. Rom al Kol Goyim, like the Pasuk says, exalted beyond all of the nations, or even beyond their perceptions and beyond, beyond their philosophies. And therefore, at that stage, his entire focus of spiritual development was all in the world of holiness and just in the world of holiness. But after the bris, the hay is inserted into his name. It's a whole new name with a whole new meaning. Av Hamoin Goyim. That now is the father of many nations. Nations meaning people who live in the physical world and are immersed in materialism. And that now empowers Avram Avinu to have an impact on ordinary people, nations of the world, even pagan people, and elevate them to Kedusha. So originally he didn't engage in that. He worked in the spiritual realms. And now we see Avram Avinu affecting the world. On Sora is the one who helped facilitate Avram Avinu's impact on the world. Why Sarah? What Sarah Menu successfully did is removed the nonsense, the rubbish of the physical world and elevated the sparks of potential and holiness. That's why she is the one who advises Avraham Avinu that Yishmael's got to go and Hagar has to go because the psoilis, the, 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 the dregs, they've got to go. What did Avram Avinu then succeed in mastering only after Sarimena passed away? Similar kind of avoider of impacting the world by taking a woman 
called Keturah. Azot Machzir Bitshuva Givain Yishmol and Hagar, that specifically not only do we chase out the negative, but we actually bring the negative to Tshuva. Yishmol and Hagar do Tshuva. Which means that the, the um, impurities that Sarah Imenu chased out of the picture, now Avram Avinu is empowered not only to remove them, but to rehabilitate and transform them. Let's understand this. The Azbor in them. The Birin Goyim Sarah. The way that Sarah Menu impacted and elevated the Goyim, meaning the world, the physical, the material, is not Klipas Neugavas is Mu'ura von Tev Unra. Sarah Menu's impact was only on that part of Klippa which has potential within it. Klipas Neugav. It has negative, but it also has positive. So get rid of the negative and salvage the positive. The way you approach Kripas Noga is you've got to remove the impurities and then, then elevate the potential goodness that was entrapped within it. And because when you're working in that way, the impurities don't seem to have any value, the only way to deal with it is get rid of it. But the way to rehabilitate or refine or transform Hagar and Yishmoel is not to identify some deeply embedded goodness within them and then extract it and elevate it. Because there isn't such potential. The only way to rehabilitate them is to introduce something new that appeared never to be there before. Like a person who's done a terrible Avera, but then does an incredible Teshuvah, now that Avera gets added into the world of holiness. Previously it had no relationship with holiness, and now it is brought into the world of holiness as an added value. That's what Avram Avinu does. He adds a new value to the world of holiness that previously was not only not there, but not even there in potential. Which answers the three questions we asked. It answers why it says that Avram added by taking a wife called Keturah. Because that concept of totally transforming something which was an impurity, Gimel Klippas Atameyos, part of the three absolutely impure elements of, of the world, is an info That's something that adds to the world what was never there before. But the Tzemach Tzedek Posuk, similar to how the Tzemach Tzedek explains the Posuk that Rachel Imenu said after Yosef was born, she immediately said, Yosef Hashem li ben Acher, may Hashem add to me another son. The Tzemach Tzedek says there's a whole layer of depth within this. As the Inyum von Yosef, the concept of Yosef, Hoysofa, adding value is dos was memacht as funan acher zolverna ben is achieved by taking something that is acher that is foreign that is distant that is an oisvorf and turning it into a ben somebody who's part of the family that's exactly what Avram Avinu is doing over here he's taking Hagar and Yishmol who were kicked out of the reservation and bringing them into the family through the process of tshuva that's a hisofa that's adding something that previously was not there and it adds in two ways and the hisofa is bishtayim the two degrees, the two elements of this addition. Number one, the obvious, Aleph, invelt. It adds a new dimension and consciousness to the world. 
So you're adding something and innovating something brand new within creation. Because within the rules of nature and the rules of creation, it's actually not possible to take something negative and turn it into positive. To take a wanton transgression and turn it into a credit. It's not possible. So we're now adding a new dimension within the world. Secondly, Beis in Avram, it adds something to Avram Avinu that previously was not part of his spiritual experience. Vayosef Avraham Goimer. The literal translation is Avram added something to his life, a new woman. But actually it means Vayosef Avram, he added to Avram, he added to himself. That concept of totally revolutionizing the dimensions of absolute impurity is something that can only be achieved with the power of Hashem's essence. Because when you look from the perspective of Hashem's essence, if we can borrow an expression from the Medrash, that it's not clear which Zebishter prefers, us or everybody else. Does Zebishter love the behavior of the pious or of the wicked? On the far, in other words, what we're saying is from the perspective of Hashem's essence, even the worst transgressions are meaningless. So when you at that elevated perspective, if the negative doesn't make a difference, doesn't make an impact, then you can completely transform it into positive. That's the real meaning of the addition of to Avraham. It means that because Avraham Avinu was now empowered with a whole different higher dimension of spirituality. That was provided to him and draws itself from Hashem's essence. Therefore, that's what empowered him to be able to transform people who previously had been completely separate from holiness, Hagar and Yishmuel, and now incorporate them into holiness. Vayosef, Avram, Avram Avinu had an added dimension of power and ability brought into his experience. Bayes, it also helps us to understand why we say specifically, why we dafka say that what illustrates how pleasing Hagar's behavior was, that it's like Ketoris of all things. Why? It's well known that Hasidus explains the reason there are specifically 11 ingredients of Ketoris. Because normally 10 is the number of holiness. Because Keteris has the power of transforming the 11 core energy centers of impurity to become holy. 11 is always a number of impurity because it's an entire system. 10 is always an entire system. Plus the fact that there has to be an external power element because uh, impurity can't live on its own. So it relies on external power from Kedusha. That's why it's the number 11. Keteris is 11 ingredients to neutralize, and not only neutralize, but transform all of that negativity to become positive. And lastly, Gimel, this is going to be a big subject we'll discuss in the Sicha. The Tachos von Yikachisha is, what's the reason for marriage? To expand the family, to have people, to populate the world. The concept of birth is obviously a concept of adding and innovating within the world.
On der Mitis Musbe was die Tschuwe von Hagar, therefore it makes sense that Hagar's Tschuwe, was in Yonah's Heisofa Canal, which we've already mentioned, is not just Tschuwe, but it's a complete revolution that adds something to the world that you wouldn't have even imagined potentially possible in the world. Where do we mention it? Not in any arbitrary part of the story, but specifically in the part of the story that speaks about marriage, which allows the opportunity of bringing new life into this world. The purpose of marriage is to, as the parish is going to tell us, to have children, which means to add new life where previously that life wasn't available, wasn't part of the world. And that's exactly what happens with Hagar. Some new life comes into the world by transforming Hagar to become a decent human being. Now, now that we're talking about Keturah, let's visit a story in the Gemara Zvachim, which is a very strange story. Story goes like this. Rabbi Tarfan's nephews, his wife's, his sister's children were sitting with him. Rashi says they weren't saying anything, which means they weren't sharing anything of Torah. So Rabbi Tarfan decided to initiate conversation, as Rashi says, that hopefully they'll get to talk. And he started by saying, Avram took another wife. And he says that who was the new wife? A woman called Yoichni. Rashi says, that he was just making a comment that was out of line or out of context just to try and stimulate some conversation. So he succeeded. They responded. They said to him, What are you calling her Yoichni? Her name is Keturah. So he said, Ah, you children of Keturah. Snip movement. It's a really strange story with a whole lot of questions that we have to ask. Firstly, Favosta tells us the Gemara Bichal. Why does the Gemara even engage us with the story? Especially when you consider that the Torah is so cautious not even to speak in a disparaging way about a non kosher animal. Surely then the, the Gemara should be so careful not to speak in a negative way about Rabbi Tarfan's family, his nephews. So there has to be some lesson, otherwise the Gemara would never have gone into this conversation. So, what's the lesson for us? Question one. Question two, Bayes. If you feel that there's too much silence in the environment, you need somebody to talk, there are many methods to instigate a conversation. You don't have to misquote a pasuk in order to start a conversation. Why does Rabbi Tarifan do that? Gimel, third question. How is it acceptable to use a pasuk of the Torah because you need to start a conversation? Torah is not there for our benefit. We're there to serve as Torah, to learn Torah. And lastly, which is possibly the question that probably jumped out first, why of all the names that he chose, did he choose If he wanted to say anything, at least he should have said Hagar. Hagar is, is who the person is. Even though Hagar would be a misquote of the Pasuk, at least it would be conveying the same content. I call upon him the Roiva Deus. At least according to most commentaries, they say Keturah is Hagar. And even if you want to say there are those who insist that Keturah was not Hagar, we know that even when you have a disagreement in Torah with somebody else, you acknowledge that their version is also Torah. 
Was the Farhobin gemerkt, Beis Hillel macht ihm sein Divir Beis which is why you see that even when there's a debate between Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai, Beis Hillel are willing to put Beis Shammai's opinion first, because they acknowledge that it is Torah, even though I have a different interpretation of Torah. Surely if he said Hagar instead of Keturah would have been enough of a departure from the simple words of the Pasuk, it would have stimulated the conversation he was looking for. So in order to understand this, we've already spoken about the concept of giving birth and that that's where the story of Keturah is introduced at the time of giving birth. There's another kind of giving birth that isn't just simply about having children, it's about educating people. So we'll understand it based on that well-known saying of our sages, any person who teaches his friend's child Torah, the Torah considers it as if he birthed that person. Why? How is that possible? It sounds like a very radical thing to say. Because when a person learns Torah properly, they become a whole new person. It's as if you've given birth to a new person. Now, you could say that there are nuances over here. The fact that it says anybody who educates or teaches his friend's child Torah is mashma ben in Torah. If it says anybody who teaches Torah, that implies even if the child already knows something from before. But we'll appreciate that the main thrust and message of this statement is if you're teaching somebody who has no prior Torah knowledge, then it's like you are bringing them to life. It's as if you've given birth to them. Because as we mentioned, that's when you make somebody brand new. Whereas if the person has already a little experience and has previously learned Torah, then obviously you're just adding to what is already there. And by the way, this helps us to understand also a little nuance of the different expressions that Rashi uses in, Pash- in Bamidbar when it talks about the children of Aaron and Moshe. Says Rashi, Venikro told us Moshe, the first Rashi says that they were considered the children of Moshe. We're talking about Aaron's sons, and yet they're considered the children of Moshe. Because he taught them Torah. That anybody who teaches any person Torah, it is ke'ilu, similar to as if he had given birth to him. And then in the next Rashi, on the day that it says that Hashem started to teach Torah to Moshe, there Rashi says, Nasu elu ha Then it says that, that Aaron's children became his children. When he talks about the principle, anybody who teaches Torah, he says, it's as if you gave birth to them. When he talks about Aaron's sons and their relationship to Moshe, then he says, he gave birth to them. Nitno ke'ilu. Why the distinction between Aaron's sons who are considered Moshe's, at least spiritual children, and everybody else is considered as if they were given birth is a time, but a very simple, honest reason. Because this is the day that Hashem speaks to Moshe. So it's brand new information for everybody and certainly then Aaron's sons are learning this Torah for the first time. 
for Moshe and even for Ischachos. They're learning Torah from Moshe in a brand new way because nobody's ever learned Torah before. Then they for sure Moshe's children without an as if. Whereas when we speak generically and say any person who educates his friend's child with Torah, which could be in any which way, including people who already know a lot of Torah, so therefore we'll only consider it as if they gave birth. Okay, what, what, what's relevant to us? is when do you really give birth to somebody by teaching them? When you teach them from scratch. That's the story of Rabbi Tarfan and his nephews. Rabbi Tarfan is sitting there with his nephews and he realizes, blank stares, these are people who do not begin to comprehend or relate to Torah. Because they're related to him, he wants to have an impact. He wants to change that. He wants to make, he wants to open their minds to learn Torah. He wants to create new people of you as if he's giving birth to them. How does he do it? So he decided he was going to use something within the Torah that speaks to the same theme. Yosef Avram Aikach Isha going with the story of Avram Avinu taking another wife for Stachlisis Silib, but the Hemshach take of Nachdem Batelet Loigomer, where the story is about giving birth to new people, because that's what Rabbi Tarfa wants to do with his nephews. He wants to transform them into brand new people. So therefore, Rabbi Tarfa decided he's going to do something proactive. He starts a conversation. So Ufdon Ibn Achsek Deshe Dabrin Teira. He wants to start a conversation so they'll also start speaking words of Torah, which will be as if he's bringing them to life, as if he's giving birth to them. That's his intention. Once we know his intention, we can understand the wording that he used. For a start, why he said, he misquoted the Pasuk deliberately by saying that Avram Avinu's wife was Yochni and not saying Hagar. The Gemara in Soita, Gemara Sota tells us as Amonashivovis that you have this mischievous or uh, the, the neighborhood mischievous, um, uh, what do you call it, a widow, who's one of the people who destroys the world, is from the Mevala Yolam. Says the Gemara, who's an example? His Rashi says, who's Yochni Basritivi and what did she do? So Rashi tells us, Amonashivovis, she was a widow who was also involved in sorcery. When it was time for a woman to give birth, she would do some kind of a sorcerous spell that would prevent the baby from being born. When this woman was now, as you can imagine, in intense pain, then she would say, Let me go daven on your behalf. I don't know, maybe they just all listen to me. So she'd go, she'd undo the sorcery spell, and the baby would come out healthy, and everybody thought she was a tzaddikus, until one day they, they bust her. One day they found her doing her shtick. So what's Yochni Basra TV's intention? She wants to give the impression that these births were all miraculous, as a result of her davening. That's why she got the name Yochni. Probably wasn't her birth name. It's the name the Gemara uses to refer to. Why Yochni? Because the nomen Yochni weiß the Fainim von Ness. 
that name Yochni links to the theme of a miracle. This is Fashtanik von Debos, the Gemara is in Brochus. As we know, the Gemara Brochus talks about all kinds of things that a person might see in a dream and what they symbolize. So it says, If a person sees Huna in a dream, it means that a miracle will happen to them because there's a Nun in that name, and a Nun represents the word Neis. If a person sees Yochanan in a dream which has two Nuns, then Nisei Nisim Nasaloi will be miracles upon miracles. So from that we could extrapolate that So we got Yochni related to miracles and now we have Yochni also associated from the story with birth. Not only because of this story of Yochni Basra TV, but also where Yosef says to Yaakov, his father, these are the children that the Abishta graciously gave to your servant. In other words, Chonan, Yochni, all from the same fundamental root, Ches, Nun, Nun, that is a symbol of giving birth. On the far, because of this link between Yochni and birth, and specifically miraculous birth, that's why when Rabbi Tarfan decided he was going to catch their eye by misquoting a pasuk, he didn't call the person uh, Hagar, he called her Yochni. Why? Because it's to the theme of what Rabbi Yochanan wants, uh, of what Rabbi Tarfan wants to do. He wants to, as if he's birthing them, create new people through teaching them. And in their case, specifically, it's completely unnatural because he could see that people who don't relate to all of this. And with that in mind, we can understand how the story ended. So they correct him, the nephews, and they say, no, no, it's not Yochni, it's Keturah. That's what the Pasuk says. So Rabbi Tarfan says, ah, you children of Keturah. If all you're seeing in place of Yochni, which is supposed to be the symbol of birth, you're still seeing that things are still bound, infertility, unable to give birth, like Yochni did to these people, which is the opposite of Yochni, which is supposed to be the symbol of giving birth. That indicates you're not going to open your minds to be able to learn Torah as I had hoped. To expand your minds to be able to understand Torah. He says you're still going to be stuck as children of Keturah, bound, blocked, uh, tied up minds. But if I stop the cop, they cannot understand and learn Torah. So that's what, unfortunately, Rabbi Tarfan had to conclude at the end of the story. Now let's go back to what we explained about Yosef Avram, that it's a whole new dimension of holiness he brings both into his own life and then into the world. We can plug that back in to what we call the real geschmack of Rashi, the wine of Torah that Rashi teaches. Because what Avram Avinu needed to achieve was something brand new, like giving birth in the world. And he was going to do this by transforming the ultimate, absolute impurity to become holy. 
We already mentioned something had to fundamentally change and Avram Avinu had to experience a whole new dimension of holiness in his own life, the essence of Hashem being revealed. We could use that to explain and in a deeper way why it is that when Rabbi Tarfan in his endeavor to wake his nephews to be aware of Torah he didn't only speak about the fact that Avram took a wife called Yochni but he added why Yosef Avram? If he wanted to get their attention, he could have skipped the word Vayosef Avram, the words Vayosef Avram. He could have just said it. he took a, a wife and her name was Yochni. They should have known which Pasuk he was referring to. Because the only Pasuk in the whole Tanakh that has that formula, Why did he add Vayosef Avram? For the same reason of Vayosef Avram. In order for him to succeed in teaching his child or his friend's child, in this case his sister's children, Torah, which in this particular case, because of their inability to really learn and understand, it was to introduce something brand new. Then like Avram Avinu, Rabbi Tarfan first had to upgrade himself. Only with the power of personal elevation and growth would he be able to stand a chance to elevate and grow others. In order to achieve that in his own experience, he had a quote part of Torah that speaks about that kind of a thing. Where Avram added to his own spiritual greatness and growth and insight. And only through that was he able to take another wife. The fact that Avram Avinu added to his spiritual stature, that brought about the possibility that he could marry a woman. Which would create the potential for generating something brand new in the world, birth and renewal and innovation. And that's exactly what Rabbi Tarfan hoped to do for himself. And with that in mind, we can also explain in Denvos Koryalem Bnei Ketura a deeper and more positive explanation of why he called them afterwards Bnei Ketura. The Rambam paskent as shem Avram bimila. The Rambam tells us that Keturah's children, being also children of Avram Avinu, are required to do a bris mila. in other words, as Yosef Avram through this marriage, which on a deeper level represents introducing something so radical into this into the world that is outside of the entire structure of spirituality was so effective. It was so effective that the results should be who? Children of Keturah. People who have a mitzvah of a bris. And a bris is not just any mitzvah. The word mila is an abbreviation of the Pasuk that says who will take us up into the heavens implying that mila elevates us in an incredible way. So incredible. That it's the last letters of those words that spell Hashem's name, implying they were elevated through Mila even beyond Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke. It elevates us beyond Torah and beyond Yudke Vavke. 
Das heißt, Herrgott von seidischer Stauslust, beyond the entire created structure, including the spiritual structures. Und das kommt durch um Malte Messoris Levavchem in Yenachuva. How does that work? How does a person get catapulted so high? Through a bris mila, which in spiritual terms represents the concept of tshuva, circumcising, revealing, exposing the depth of the heart. So therefore, Rabbi Tafim was not just insulting them and saying, B'nei Keturah, you're stuck in the world of Keturah, being bound and you can't escape it. Rabbi Tafim, he called, he brought, he, 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 he kind of invited into the space the possibility for Torah learning completely beyond the existing structure. In the existing structure, they were stuck. He brings into their world the possibility of doing a bris, cutting away that impediment to learning. Similar to what Avram Avinu was able to achieve with B'nai Keturah, who have access to the concept of Mila, and Rabbi Tarfan was able to bring that to his nephews too. Which of course is a great lesson for ourselves. If we want to have an impact on somebody else who we feel is stuck, we have to first elevate ourselves to such an incredible level that we can bring them to a point that is beyond the natural status in which they find themselves.